Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome to the Theater Podcast, intimate personal conversations with theater's biggest names. I'm your host, Alan Seals, and this episode features Gina Duvall, who originated the title role of Diana in Diana the Musical on Broadway, yet it never opened because of quarantine, COVID, the whole lockdown. So as you probably know, this was recorded in front of an empty audience sometime back for Netflix, and there's no premiere date yet at the time I'm recording this episode. So I can't say when it's going to show on Netflix, and even Gina didn't have a date to tell us yet, because I don't even think she knows. Either she doesn't know or she's not allowed to tell us. Who knows? But either way, I've got no good news there in that aspect. But this was the first show ever, Diana was, to be recorded before it ever opened on Broadway for us to be able to see on camera. That's unprecedented. I hope that coming out of quarantine and coming out of COVID, that this might be a little bit of something that producers start to do to give access to people who may not be able to actually travel to New York or have the financial means or the time or what or whatnot to actually make it and see these shows in person. So hopefully there's some sort of healthy balance between keeping things exclusive to the stage and in person, but being able to provide access to those people who may never get the chance to see it in person. But Gina herself, I was very impressed with how she keeps herself working, even when she's not working. And before she got Diana, before that all happened, she started Broadway Weekends, which she billed originally at the time as theater camp for adults. She and her sister started this. And now during COVID, they've overcome those startup challenges You know, a, a year or two ago. But now during COVID, they've changed to being a theater camp for adults to now they call themselves a theater camp for everyone, especially now in quarantine, because everyone can take these classes online. They've got something coming up at the end of November to learn choreography and songs from the original production of The Prom, which is very cool, taught by the original cast of The Prom. So it's giving actors work who may be out of work. It's giving patrons something to do and something to learn and connecting everybody again. So Gina, thank you for putting that together. It's such a brilliant idea. Everybody, please check out broadwayweekends.com. And find me online, as always, at theater underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Please leave a rating, leave a review. They always, always help. And now, everybody, please enjoy this episode with Gina Duvall. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. My guest today has been performing since she was 11 years old. Originally from England, she has starred in productions on the West End and made her Broadway debut in American Idiot. She was in the touring production of Wicked, then came back to Broadway in Kinky Boots before most recently originating the role of Diana in Diana the Musical. But in addition to being on stage, she can also be seen on Netflix in Iron Fist. 
But in addition to that is also an amazing entrepreneur having started what she calls a theater camp for adults with her sister, which is called Broadway Weekends. And now during COVID, they have pivoted during the Broadway shutdown and are doing Broadway Weekends at home in the midst of teaching all of these classes to people of all ages. Right now, what's going on is they've got classes led by the original cast members of The Prom. So that's super exciting as that is one of my most favorite shows. I can't wait to talk about all this. Gina Duvall, welcome to the Theater Podcast. Hello, thank you so much for having me. Thank you very, very much for being here. And I want to start by uh, something you were telling me a second ago um, before we started recording was that I originally quoted Broadway Weekends as like theater camp for adults, but you were telling me now that Broadway Weekends at home is more for everybody. So how has that changed in COVID? And, and what is the what is Broadway Weekends in the first place? Well, Broadway Weekend started, the reason we started doing it just for adults was because it was a passion project that basically filled up my soul with love and joy. Um, as you know, uh, being a professional actor can be very grueling sometimes. And sometimes it feels a little bit like the world is beating you down when you're trying to pay your rent with your art. But hosting these camps, these theater camps where adults from all across Northern America would come, and even outside of America, actually, we had people from all across the world come, um, was just for adults who specifically did not want to pursue this professionally and therefore just thought it was really fun to sing and dance and perform for, um, you know, our weekends, which ranged from like two to five days. And that was like deeply fulfilling for me as an actor in a pretty tough time in my career, actually, to see what a privilege it is to sing and dance for a living. And I just love doing it. I love meeting these adults who who thought that was a kick to do that. And I, I just got such joy out of it. So originally it was geared for for adults who either, I was going to say like, didn't tried to make it and didn't, but it seems like people, you know, there's always a choice. People oh, are not, like, not, not tried, make it and did it. Like people who never planned to make it. We had like doctors, accountants, um, <laughs> research scientists. Like the, if I would love it if someone came and they were terrified to open their mouth. And by the end of the weekend, they would sing a solo line. Like it was such a joy of mine to sort of get people to like break out of their shell. And, and um, yeah, no, it, the, 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 the absolute goal was nothing but fun and celebration and joy. It was, there was no agents or auditions happening from it. So you and your, your sister started this, which this is, you know, on your, on the Broadway weekends website, she works for Google. She's a, she's an engineer, which is interesting because she also has a Broadway credit. You of course have many Broadway credits. Um, but she is case in point, I think where, uh, you know, living by example, she didn't want to do it. She did something else but still enjoys the process, right? So did the two of you just kind of have this epiphany one night and you're like, we got to do this? Well, I think we both grew up obsessed with the process. I don't think any of us, it's very British of us and perhaps very female of us, but we never grew up sort of being like, we're going to be Broadway professionals. That wasn't even like a, a, a reality that was in our minds. Um, I think we just loved the theater industry. We're obsessed with the theater industry and we're happy to do anything involved in the theater industry. However, as adults, we sort of reflected on it and we're like, so we got so much out of that education. We got a friend group, we got confidence, we got 
you know, there's, I mean, there's so many benefits to theater education. So we sort of were reflecting on that and sort of thought, I, I have a, a few good friends who are um, yoga teachers and one specifically runs retreats all around the world. And she was sort of explaining to me the outcomes of her yoga retreats. And I was like, well, that sounds very similar to what I used to get out of theater classes. Um, let's sort of run this as a test to see if anyone is interested and if they get the same sort of outcome and they, they sure did. And we had adults returning like four years in a row uh, to come for a five day singing and dancing camp in New York. So we, we certainly figured out how to make theater classes fun. What is it that you think they get out of it? You talked about something tangible or you alluded to something tangible, but what is that? Oh, I think there's so many tangible skills. I mean, first of all, let's just talk about the confidence to speak and hear your voice and, and not mumble or stutter or freeze up when you have to be on the spot. Um, then there's the absolute surrender to the unknown. I mean, we all know when we're in improv or we're in a scene or, or any of those things, you're the best when you completely surrender and don't try and hold on to the moment and just respond and react. Um, and that is so valuable in any uh, business. If you're in a meeting, it, it not to feel like you have to have every inch of your pitch planned or, or, um, you know, just the freedom to trust that words will come to your mind and you will make sense. Um, so, and then, and then just the freedom to trust your body and move in your body and, and, and respond to other people. And, um, I think there's huge tangible skills to be, to be found in theater classes. I used to like kind of poo poo the idea of, of, you know, corporate training sessions that did improv or did public speaking, sort of things like that. And, and you know, you're yet another person in a very short time that has gotten, has brought up this exact sort of thing where it, it's like so much outside of the theater space can be positively affected by theater training and improv training. And you want to get into the science of it, uh, the episode with, with Anthony Venenziale, when I interviewed him, like he's into the science, like that he gets into MRI machines of when he's like freestyling and it's like the durolateral lateral prefrontal cortex. I think I have that right. Like this is activated and like I called it the devil on your shoulder that gets thrown away because the the part of your brain that's like, I'm not good enough or maybe I shouldn't try this is, dis, is deactivated. There's more... Wow. Yeah, and so like exactly what you're saying is being backed up by science that other people are researching right now. It's it's fascinating. That's incredible. I mean, I mean, I mean, you know, so we obviously know in this day and age you're supposed to meditate, you're supposed, to, you know, all those things, but these are things we're taught. These aren't things that we necessarily are born knowing. And there's so many theater activities like that that require very similar skills. I mean, if you're going to learn to sing or anything like that, you have to have complete calm and um, focus to sort of do those intricate things. You can't be distracted or trying to muscle through and all those things. And I think there's so many tangible skills that relate to that. I enjoy, in addition to the science, like the, the personal sort of uh, growth that comes from being on stage and, and just training your brain to learn lines or learn blocking or learn choreography, whatever it is, there's a, a camaraderie that's formed by default when going through a rehearsal process and a performance process and by having shared stress and shared experiences with these people that, uh, especially as adults, is hard to get, in my opinion. Because in school, you're with these people. In, or, you know, in elementary school, middle school, high school, then college. And then after college, you're basically like, that's your group of friends. Mm -hmm. And then... Well, I 
Yeah, oh, well, ahead, I think what does it, I think the reason that um, theatre classes does form a community in adults is because there is a level of exposure that you have to um, be willing to do when you sing in front of people or perform in front of people. And it's extremely scary. And uh, even for professionals, it's, it's extremely scary. And I think sort of witnessing someone else going through that and witnessing someone else sort of step up to the table um, makes you support them, especially when you've seen that process, whether they were quiet at the beginning of the workshop or whether they had their camera off in the first session. You know, seeing that progress of someone suddenly turn their camera on and then maybe after four weeks sign up to sing um, is... Is, is is clear to everyone else in the room and it inspires humans to sort of lift up other, the other people. I didn't even think about that. That, yeah, the, the virtual landscape versus the in-person landscape. Like, obviously, you're not going to show up to a class and, and stand in the back corner the whole time because you're there to take a class and perform. But I didn't even think about people keeping their camera off. Does that happen a lot? Yeah, and, I, and it's... There, there, there tends to be maybe like 50-50 in our classes. Now, our classes range from 20 people to 200 people, but they're, they're, there's a lot of people who keep their, their cameras off. And then it's so thrilling when they finally start to creep on the screen and, and eventually maybe participate. Gosh, I, I am an extrovert. I, chemically, I need that herd mentality. I need groups of people. Like I feel abandoned when I am by myself. And... I know plenty of people who are the complete opposite. Like they don't like it. They don't, they want to be by themselves. They want to make sure they've got it perfectly fine before they expose themselves, um, you know, on camera or whatever the case is in front of a group of people. And that vulnerability, gosh, yeah, I guess that is sort of trained. I guess that is, well, you can teach it. You can teach teach yourself to be more vulnerable. And I think it's, of course, half nature, half nurture, in my opinion. But I, w I would love to get your opinion uh, growing, you know, you're from um, from London, right? Or Britain? From Britain. We're from, um, we moved around. We were born in Germany and then we moved to England when we were like six and we lived in Birmingham and then we went to school in London. So we've, and then I college in Liverpool. So I've really moved around. Right. Okay. So, so obviously very UK based. Mm -hmm. And, then coming to the to the Americas for you know the later part of your life here, do you see a difference in in the I don't know what to call it the therapeutic culture of of the two places like in England are there more people that are open about meditation and open about therapy and open about mental health versus now in in the Americas in my limited experience I feel like we're just now as a country starting to be okay with talking about it. Oh, I would disagree with that. I would say America is light years ahead of, of really? other countries in terms of talking about your own personal um, development and, and the things you need. I think England's got a lot better. I certainly know a lot of friends who talk like that now. I, I don't think that was in our language. Mental health and stuff was in our language um, growing up. I, I didn't have a single friend who was going to therapy. Um, it, it, that so so I think England's got a lot better about embracing things like that, but I think America is is leading the way in terms of um, self care. Wow. Well, I am pleasantly surprised. So go us, I guess. No, I always thought that we were, especially what's going on in our current climate. I thought that we're just like making so many steps backwards right now that I assume that we're just the worst at everything globally right now. Um, uh, that's the thing with America. The, America loves to bash America and everyone else from every other country <laughs> that's moved to America loves America. It's perspective. It's, it's yeah. absolutely perspective. And I think, again, that 
admittedly like white male privilege now add on American privilege. I I thank you for pointing that out because I'm always trying to you know be a bigger, better person, and I think this is very important for everybody to hear. Um, you know, you think you've got it bad, but look at the country we're in. I guess it's good. Look at you know, look at see if you were somewhere else. Um, you were saying that you originally you know born in Germany, right? Moved around the UK. So tell me actually about like where you grew up and you were performing since you were 11, but tell me about this whole story. So uh, I went to a performing arts boarding school. I went when I was 11. Uh, so I wasn't performing professionally, but I was doing it every day at, at boarding school. Um, and boarding school was amazing. I mean, I think I cried nonstop for the first year, but then I got over being away from home and uh, convinced my sister to come to boarding school. And then we literally would only do academics for three hours a day or something. And the rest, we were singing and dancing and, and acting. And um, and amazing people have come from our school in the year above and the, and, and the year below. And also people doing stuff outside of the arts. It was just uh, a great environment that taught us work ethic, but also that you can support people beating you and still be friends and still be their cheerleader. You know, it was just a wonderful way to learn that sort of um, how to be competitive without um, w- without hoping other people fail. And at 11, obviously, if you cried the first year, that makes me assume that you didn't want to be there. What is there? <laughs> is there a story behind that? I, I, I mean, my parents say I did want to go. I don't really remember. I mean, I was such a baby. I don't really actually remember anything. I just sort of remember being there and suddenly being a bit panicked, like, why am I here? Um, and sort of feeling lonely and stuff. But, um, but uh, I think it was good for me because it's certainly tough on my skin. I mean, I think a lot of people find leaving home tough when they're 18 or when they're 21. I mean, I didn't even bat an eye when I went to college. It was, <laughs> and then moving to America by myself at 22, I like hardly batted an eye. I was, you know, so it definitely uh, made that learning curve happen very young, but, but I was grateful for it later on in life. And so your sister came, which is funny because now she ended up as a as a software engineer, which I guess is you know it's her own story. But this is your episode. Uh, <laughs> it's funny to me. Okay, so you're going eleven, you're there, and then you just continue performing. And did you did you enjoy, I guess, the performing side of it? And you're just lonely and wanted to go back home, or did you just not like performing and grew into that? Like, did you know oh, no, you wanted I to perform? I loved performing. I I mean I I. As I sort of mentioned earlier, I don't think I ever said I want to be an actress. Even when I was like at drama school at 19, 20, we'd be at restaurants. And my dad would say to the waiter, she's going to be an actress. And I'd say, shh, that's, you know, because more just because I didn't believe it. Um, but um, I knew that I wanted to do something in theater. And having said that, I would have been happy doing anything in theater from a company manager to a stage manager to a casting director to anything. I just knew that I loved this world. Well, what is it about it? What is it about the world that drew you to it? Because, I mean, a lot of people say validation. A lot of people say, like, you know, the insecurity. If they're shy, it gives them family. It gives them friends. Like, what is it What is it for you that drew you to it? Well, I think um, I used to... First of all, I used to listen to cast album recordings and imagine what the world looked like. And I think that was uh, addictive to imagine it. Sometimes it actually let me down. I remember once we came to... I shouldn't say this because I've been in Wicked. But I remember once we came to see Wicked and I was so annoyed it was not how I imagined it at all 
And my friend who went with me agreed. And I think we wrote like a 20 page pitch deck and sent it to the Wicked Company in New York for how they should have directed the show. <laughs> and, they, and then they wrote back and said, there's the door. Yeah, there's the door. Um, so I think it was like the imagination of what it all is. And then there is something that is so um, like exclusive about theater because you have to attend, right? So when you see all like the national theaters marketing and it looks so exciting and it looks, uh, there's this thing that you can't access it. It's so, it's so restricted and you're like, gosh, I've got to know what's going on. I, I want to see it. I want to see it. Um, and then also it was the actual doing for me. The doing was more um, exciting in many ways than the watching. And that was the, the you know, uh, uh, everything we've based our business off, which is I just loved being in um, rehearsal. Yeah, the rehearsal, the rehearsal part in my own experience too, I've got a performing background. The rehearsal part for me is always just so much fun because you're getting to know these people while getting to know yourself in a new character. And the whole, yeah, I, I agree with you. The whole process of just creating is is intense. And I want to get to, I guess, we'll get to the Diana stuff soon because that was, you know, a huge role to originate. But um, made your Amer your Broadway debut in American Idiot, which you were the first, you were one of the first replacements in the show there, right? Yeah, I, I was the yeah. first replacement, actually. Yeah, Mary Fairhaber I replaced. Oh, that's cool. Okay, so did the, Amer did the Broadway debut in American Idiot come before West End debut or after? After so uh, it's quite a funny story actually. So if if you if you've got the time, I do. Um, so uh, I was in We Rock You in London, which was my first job out of school, and I was an uh, understudy in that show, The Two Leads, and the Hair Broadway show was um, in in London at the time, and I made friends with quite a few of those people, and my green card, which we'd applied for when we were like ten years before, came through during that contract, and. Um, and, and a culmination of my green card coming through and then also just meeting all these amazing Broadway performers um, made me think, wow, I, I've just I've just got to go. So uh, the contract finished. In, in England, you have to do a year's contract. You can't, it's not like the four-week thing in, in America. So I finished my year and then literally booked a flight and, and, and came. And I... Um, I, was, I, I met Alicia Umfres, who was visiting one of the, the friends, and we, we all happened to go to Amsterdam together. And I said, I'm moving to America. And we made a coffee date uh, for like two, two months out or six weeks out or something. Um, so I arrive in America, and I start going to all the open calls in Times Square. And um, I happen to get uh, American Idiot. So the next time I see her, because she'd been like, yeah, 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 good luck, girl. Move to America. You know, it's pretty hard kind of thing. So the next time I see her, I'm like, hey, yeah, I'm, I'm coming into your show, actually. And she was like, get out, get out. She was so annoyed. Oh, that's so funny. That's so funny. Yeah, I, I love Alicia. Um, <laughs> okay, American Idiot. Then you were a uh, Wicked Tour, Kinky Boots, and then, yeah, now Diana, of course. But between Kinky Boots... And Diana, um, that that was when Broadway Weekends got started, yeah? Oh, sort of, oh. yeah. Between In that Kinky Boots, I did uh, The Out of Town of Waitress, and I did The Out of Town of Finding Neverland. Hmm. Um, both have different stories that were complicated, and and, um, and, I did, and so those happened, and then I left Kinky Boots, and then sort of... I, I've been working pretty consistently from 21 to 27, Um and when I say consistently, I mean double duty most of the time. Like I was truly nonstop and I would involve myself in everything. And then um, 
I left Kinky Boots and it was a, a decision to be like, well, I really want to originate a lead. I've tried now with Finding Neverland. I've tried now with Waitress and, you know, they didn't happen. I want to originate. Um, and sometimes you have to just like unemploy yourself to get onto the next rung of the ladder as an actor, which is crazy, but it just scary. is what it is. It's scary as it is. But I sort of made that commitment. I told my agents, I just want to originate. And, um, so then I was unemployed and um, I found myself catering again and um, and without a schedule and without a purpose and maybe feeling like I didn't have any self-worth and all those kind of horrible things that happen when you don't have a job. Um, so I started creating projects that would give myself structure um, and also that I felt passionate about. And one of them happened to be Broadway Weekends and that's and that's how we started developing it. I think a lot of people in your position have and would go into sort of a, a, a spiral of self-doubt and a spiral of you know, depression, for a lack of, uh, I guess, a different word. Um, <laughs> you know, going back to the mental health side of it all, how much of yourself did you at the time put into having a job? Like, did, were you like, I'm, I'm just not a real person unless I have a schedule and a job? Or, you know, where did this sort of like drive to create come from? Yeah, I, I, I definitely think a lot of my self-worth was based in my resume. Um, I mean, it, it, both both having things to do every day and also feeling good at what you do. And then also just having a wage. It's, it's, it's a really scary thing to be in New York and have having no income coming in. And then um, and so it, it was just a hard thing to, to grapple with. And um, another thing as well, I actually had started a new relationship at the time with someone who was really successful. And I found myself like being introduced to um, all his friends and sort of seeing in their eyes like, oh, she's an actress. <laughs> because like, I was like, and people asking you questions like, what do you do all day? And like those passive aggressive questions where you're like, hmm. um, that hurts. Um, so um, yeah, it was really, really important for me to do, um, to set up some things that I thought, A, get, a, one gave me structure and B, um, made me feel passionate to get up and, and do things and, and feel inspired to work. Well, so then, you know, going back to your to Broadway weekends and starting, uh, starting the company with your sister, right? So w where did the ideas sort of come from, though? Did you both? Yeah, the idea. Yeah, go ahead. The idea came from I went on vacation with a with a friend who ran yoga retreats around the world, and I was sort of saying, "Oh, I feel like this," and she's saying, "You should try yoga." I do all my friends, you know, sorry, all my clients. Um, these are the benefits of yoga, and this is how we run a retreat, and these are the benefits of the retreat. and And I came away being like, well, "I don't like yoga," but all the things you're describing are outcomes that I would say I got from theater classes. So, right, right, right. I wonder if I can create kind of a, a theater retreat, for lack of a better word. And was it hard to, to get started, though? Because, I mean, just get, taking people's money, if I didn't know anything, I mean, you're nodding for people listening now. You're just nodding <laughs> profusely. Uh, yeah, I, I would be reluctant to, as a first-time person taking a, a, a class from this first-time company to be like, here's my money, I'm going to travel to you as well and take this class that I'm not sure about and has no reputation yeah it sure was it sure was hard um and 
and it lost money for a while, you know, like, uh, it, it was a, it was an investment of time and money, but, um, but I, I believed in the higher philosophy that there is, uh, a, a lot of similar outcomes, um, to, uh, similar to yoga or meditation that theater can provide. And I, and I'm still sort of, uh, working to that higher level goal of, uh, uh, and that belief. Goal. Okay. It's interesting how you phrase that higher level goal and that belief that that is like those are phrases of of more of a spiritual nature. Well, I think there is something spiritual about theater classes. I do. I think um, there's something spiritual about committing to your imagination. There's something spiritual about being so in tuned with the inner workings of your body from I mean, the, the how much effort it takes to make your voice uh, move in a certain way and focus on certain riffs and focus on certain notes. All that stuff is deep meditation. I mean, there's nowhere, it's practice, it's focus, it's calm. It, you know, all these things that are required to develop these skill sets are absolutely spiritual in, in every sense of the word. Do you, did you find yourself, uh, I guess, growing more um, as a teacher or when you were actually in classes and doing the rehearsal process and everything? Because I assume that, you started out as one of your own teachers in 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 the company, of course. So do you find yourself becoming a better person and a better performer now because of teaching or because of stage experience? Oh, so this is a funny. So sometimes when I'm, when I, especially in the past when I've been acting, um, obviously uh, you have all these tools and stuff that you've developed. But when you're actually in the room, you tend to let them go. At least I did for a long time. And I would just sort of do um, what came naturally or, or develop it in different ways. And then having taught all summer, when we went back to do the film for Netflix, I had seen firsthand how much people's performances change with um, some basic tools that I was teaching that I had maybe learned in drama school, um, like tangible changes that were so clear. And so I literally broke my script down um, like a like a theater class with like <laughs> with like adjectives and I, uh, you know, which realm of co- am I myself, the person in the room, the higher power. So like the realm of consciousness, the, the active, uh, you know, the moment before. And I literally wrote it in like it was, and um, you know, I mean, well, who knows, maybe my performance will be terrible, but um, I purposely did the tricks I'd been teaching just because I'd seen how much effect they had. Well, then it, you still haven't actually answered the question. Oh, sorry. Do, do you think that, no, I mean, it's interesting to me because you know you're explaining this process. I'm trying. I'm trying to evaluate you, of course, as a person. While we're talking and asking all these things, so like uh, the you you are this. You keep flip flopping back and forth in my mind between someone who's very uh, logical and methodical versus someone who is spiritual, hippie. Hippie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, more, more spiritual based though, because I mean, even in what you just said about how you broke down your script, you used the phrase higher power. So what is the higher power? Is that is, I mean, you don't have to answer specifically, but me, like metaphorically, you're speaking to the audience, but to, to your character, what is the audience? You know, I, I'm exactly, I'm just, exactly. Right, right. I, I mean, I think, I think there is something that is uh, very, um, 
that falls both into into both those lanes. Even as a, an artist, I think there's something that falls both into those lanes. Like I feel like when you first receive a script and you're trying to figure out like, how does my character get from A to B? What affects them? Okay, and then they go to C. And it, and it is very sort of planned out and structured. And you have these thoughts that are, okay, I read this article about her. So I know she was feeling this. So maybe that affected her. So it is very planned out. And then at some point, you have to step in and let go and commit to your imagination. Well, that is a good way, I think, to transition to Diana specifically because the show itself, I was not fortunate to see it in previews before COVID hit, um, but I've talked to a couple friends who have and said the show's phenomenal and your performance is wonderful. And my question for you then is, is you know, of course, coming from the UK, you probably know, know more about the royal, the royal family than we do in America in general. But uh, my impression, my personal impression of it is, is I mean, really, like, it was a, a tragic lifestyle that, she's, that she had. But the show itself is actually full of lots and lots of humor. So I guess start with that. Like, were you surprised with the script with how humorous it was? And then I want to get into actually how you, how you started to research uh, you know, and prepared to be Diana. This is like to originate something like this is huge. Huge. Um, so I'm, I'm glad that people find it find it funny. Um, you know, she she was in a very uh, strange environment. <laughs> she married into a strange environment. Uh, but we all know what a great sense of humor she had. I mean, that can be seen in interviews. That can be seen with her sons. That can be seen um, in in reports. Um, and her spirit was um, alive and funny. And uh, so there, there was definitely uh, a huge focus on making the show feel fresh and funny and uh, alive and not all stoic and serious and tragic. Um, so I'm glad that comes across. I mean, were, you, were you surprised? I guess what did you expect going into it? When you first got the call from your agents, you're like, we've got this offer, or we've got this role for you. Here are the sides. It's for Diana musical yeah now first let me say that when I first auditioned for it it was for a tiny reading a four-day reading at Vassa it definitely wasn't for uh Netflix the first <laughs> musical <laughs> to be you know, so we've gone we've, we've changed slightly what the goal was since I first auditioned but um I uh when when I first got this I mean with any musical right you, you the the scenes tend to get trimmed and and so they make room room for songs but when I first got the script I mean it was a hefty script Joe had gone in and um so it was less that I was aware of the tone and more I was aware of how fleshed out and detailed um and well written the scenes were. I mean, it could, honestly, it could have been a TV script or a film script. There was there was nothing that was uh, surface level or or anything like that. I mean, we've definitely stripped it back to make room for songs as we've developed it over the years. But what started was a play. It, I mean, Joe wrote a play. Wow. Well, uh, when did when did the development start? Because I know that you were doing it in La Jolla. So you know that right. So that was years ago. When did it start? When when was the four day reading? I think the four-day reading was in the summer of 2017. Wow. Um, and then we did a workshop in 2019, and then, no, I'm getting my, 2018, and then La Jolla was 2019, and then Broadway was 2020. I think that's the timeline. 
I guess that's actually not so bad. I mean, it's pretty creative, quick for a Broadway show, yeah. Actually, yeah, it is. Uh, assuming that that was you know one of the first workshops that they did, which I have no idea, but um, it's it's fascinating to me. Of course, like you're stepping into these shoes, you're getting you know you've you've met your goal of originating a role, and this is a hefty role to originate. Right. Mm-hmm. And and I I don't suspect that you were able to like get consultation from the royal family on this. No. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know if they were planning on coming to theater? Like, have they ever endorsed it actually? They have not. I mean, that would be amazing. Um, but but no word as of yet. I if they do tell me I oh, need well. to be there for that. I think that will be incredible. <laughs> um, but you've mentioned Netflix many, many times. This is the first Broadway musical now to be filmed before the show ever opens on Broadway, or filmed and released before the show ever yeah, opens this, on Broadway. Yeah. Um, were you privy to any of that conversation or any of that decision-making process, or were you just got a call and you're like, I just got a call, and, and I, was, I was actually a bit annoyed because I was like, wait, they gave us like five weeks' notice. I'd been sat on the couch, drinking wine, eating chips. And I was like, well, you couldn't have even given us a hint? Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know. So... Um, so no, they told us literally five weeks ago and I think all our jaws dropped to the floor. But they were like, yeah, we've been working on this since March and it's coming through and we're going to film it. So we were blown away. So was that oh, since March? Uh, yeah, I guess that's when COVID hit. So I guess mm-hmm. they probably, the producing team probably pivoted real fast. I, I assume they must have been in conversation with Netflix anyway. No, uh, I don't believe they were. I think they had really? a, yeah, I think one of our producers is Frank Marshall. Um, I'm not sure if you know, but he, if him, but he's a very connected man. Um, So uh, it was, I guess it was an idea that came up in a production meeting and, um, and, and he made a call and I hope Beth doesn't mind me saying this, but our lead producer was like, by the end of that call, he'd already had, he already had a call with Netflix set up for the next morning. That's how connected he is. Wow. That's (laughs) The people you know. (laughs) Well, it always is. Yeah. In this business, of course. And so the 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 process you came back, of course, during COVID. Um, I mean, I know that you're not supposed to or allowed to say a lot about this, but um, for what you can tell us, um, what, I mean, obviously you don't have an audience because it was filmed inside the theater, but in uh, like it's different. Was anything changed? I guess first off, was it changed, or what the stage production is what we see is what we're going to get on stage too. Um, it, there was, so there was, um, there was one section of the show that they wanted to work on and we did a, a Zoom workshop in June and, um, worked on that and they really sort of, um, made great change to that scene and song that they wanted to work on. Um, and that was the only thing that was changed. The rest is the, the Broadway show. So is that going to go back, the changes are going to go back to... No, no, no. These, these are set. I think. I think they sort of. Um, th- there was when we were in previews. You know, there's always that one moment where you're like, "Oh man, we wish we could work on this one section." But we had, you know, four days till opening or whatever. So that it was sort of like, "Well, it's too late now." But it sort of gave us a, a new little section of time to work on that section, and it and it and it fi- and it's fixed. It's it's great. Oh, wonderful! So then, yeah. So the change will stick, and when it goes back and opens on stage. That's yeah. awesome. That's so awesome. Well, I can't, I cannot wait for for it to come out on Netflix. I, you know, there's no word, no announcement yet on when that's going to be. I'm sure they're still working through all of that, but um, I'm super excited about that. But also speaking of things that are on Netflix, I'll tie this back to Broadway Weekends at Home now, <laughs> The Prom, right? Oh, yeah. 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 So, so The Prom coming out on Netflix in the fall, 
or in December, but the original Broadway production, you have teaching classes now. Right. So, so with Broadway Weekends at Home, um, we've obviously just been offering theatre classes covering the gamut of theatre subjects, but they haven't been um, on a theme or anything like that. They've just, uh, the teachers, you know, one teacher's improv, one teacher's scene study, yada, yada. Whereas we really wanted to sort of explore um, how do you experience a show if you're completely immersed in the material? So rather than sitting back and having this passive experience of I see the show and I, I sit in an audience, if you are learning the material, hearing from the artists who made it and sort of having this immersive experience. And we had started exploring that with in-person camps before social distancing um, in pop-ups by teaming up with actors in Broadway national tours. So we'd done this with Come From Away and The Band's Visit and Mean Girls and yada yada on Saturdays and Sunday mornings in different cities where... We were still adults then, but adults would come and they'd learn a section of the show and be taught by um, taught by the cast members. So now this is our now online exploration. Um, and the first show that we're doing with is The Prom. And we're aiming at high schoolers because of the subject and, mm-hmm. um, and, and you know, because the high schoolers love theater and they've had so much canceled this year. So we really wanted to just sort of give them something, but, um, but yeah, this will be, it's a one weekend sort of uh, standalone event taught by the original cast members. So Chris Sieber and Beth level and Josh Lehman and Caitlin, and all those people and using material from the show um, off and, and, you know, it, it, and I, and it, it's a bit of an experiment, but I, I sort of can't wait to interview the participants afterwards to be like, how did that feel? Like, how did it feel experiencing the show like this? And, um, and I, and I, we're, we're all sort of living in the unknown right now, but I, but I am leaning towards follow this because I think there's something here of a different way of experiencing theater than just watching it. Well, you're doing something that as far as I know, nobody else is doing it, you know, being able to, especially right now during shutdown, Provide some income to these actors who are sitting around <laughs> doing nothing, which is super important. Um, I take that back. They're not doing nothing. They're actually working their asses off trying to find other sources of income, such as this. Um, but then for the people who who desperately need the arts in their lives, the people who, like you have been alluding to this whole time, like uh, it was actually, ironically, Beth Level, who first used this phrase with me, theater helped her find her tribe. And... This is what the people who are taking these classes from the Beths and the Chris's and the Josh's and, and the Caitlin's, especially a show like The Prom and like Mean Girls. All, obviously, the theme here is sort of like the high school angsty years of your life. And, and, well, not that life isn't angsty in general, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> high school is particularly rough. And mm-hmm. now, like, I'm, I'm, of a, I'm of an age where... I didn't have internet. I didn't have cell phones all the time and at all. I didn't have a cell phone until I was basically out of college. But now in middle school and high school, you've got the internet, you've got connectivity, you are nonstop and you get exposed. Kids get exposed to so much more than, than I ever did at that age. And I think it's more, it's so important to do what you are doing and bringing the opportunity for people to connect in a, in a real and genuine and authentic way and identify with these people and these actors and these stories and these songs because music, the art, it heals, right? 
especially right now when we are as a nation hurting so much as a country hurting so much Mm -hmm. and we can't get out and we can't connect and we can't touch and we can't hug and it's hard. So I really, really thank you for what you're doing because I think it's making a huge difference to a lot of people. Thank you. I hope so. I hope so. And I think that is actually actually a wonderful place to transition into my three standard closing questions that I ask everybody to close out these episodes. All right. The very first one, very simply, is what motivates you? Why um, I? <laughs> <laughs> what motivates me? Um, what motivates me is human interaction, I think. I mean, I... I um, I wake up every day excited to go to work and it's mainly to talk to the people I work with, which happens to be all online, but I still communicate with them every day. And I, um, I love making something with other people. I, I'm not someone who works in a vacuum at all. Um, I love collaborating. I love working with other people. And I honestly, I'd rather work than be on vacation. I just, I just love working with people. I, I love that you said that when I go on vacation, I like to do the things, I like to work on the things that I want to work on, not the things I have to work on. Well, that is the good, the very good thing about being an artist is, um, or, or not an artist, but an artist slash entrepreneur is um, you're only doing the things you want to do, which, <laughs> which, which the negative is sometimes you don't have a source of income and you, and you don't know where your life's going. But the positive is, is that you wake up every day and set your own schedule and, and it's only you really driving the ship. So um so I, I don't never have the Sunday scaries or anything like that. I really wake up kind of pumped every day. I love that. Okay, second question then is what advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now starting out down a similar path? Um, I would say um, explore those skills that you feel are not for you. For example, mine would be writing. I... I, I um, you know, I wish I'd started writing music and scripts and practicing the guitar at a young age and stuff. But to me, I just didn't because that just never felt like a, a possibility or a world for me. So um, to explore the, the skills that you think are beyond your means and ability levels, because everything is a skill that can be developed. And if you work on something for long enough, you'll be good at it. I love that answer. So last question. This is the hardest one. If you could only see one show for the rest of your life, but you could see it as many times as you want, what would you see? Diane Paulus's Pippin. <laughs> so specific. Why, why that specific? I was... I mean, I, so when I was a kid, I definitely used to get lost in the theater. You know, like I'd come out and I'd sort of be like, it was like I left the room and I just got lost in that world. Um, but I got lost in that show as an adult. And I, and it was during my unemployed time, but I think I bought house seats three times. And that's how much I loved it. I was, right. I was blown away. Awesome. So... Please, everybody, visit broadwayweekends.com. There's an actual, there's a really great uh, video that explains what Broadway Weekend is that I'm going to throw in the show notes for this episode. And then personally, where can we find you online? Uh, on the gram, I'm the Big Deval. The Big, just D-E-W-A-A-L? Yes, the Big Deval, yeah. 
Awesome. Awesome. And you can get more of me at the theaterpodcast.com. I'm on Instagram, the gram and the twits at theater underscore podcast, facebook.com slash official theater podcast. Please leave a rating, tell your friends, share, help Gina get the word out about Broadway weekends and take these classes. The prom class, the next two coming up are November 21st and November 22nd. So sign up for those. Thank you for Jukebox the Ghost for the intro and outro music. This is edited by Matthew Hendershot. And Gina, thank you most of all. This has been such a wonderful chat. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take a deep breath, make the world a little colorful. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.